Welcome to Parents' Rights Now, a production of Parents' Rights in Education, hosted by Suzanne Gallagher. We are committed to valuing students, empowering parents, and supporting communities to secure great educations for public school children in America. PRE welcomes all students, families, and community members who care about scholastic success for K-12 public school students. Visit our website, parentsrightsined.org, and like us on Facebook. Join us by filling out the form on our website titled, Join Us. You will find information regarding issues and information about local and state chapters. Hey everybody, today is Thursday, the 19th of January. And last episode was all about hospitals and what hospitals are doing. We touched on that somewhat. It's pretty deep dive. So I encourage you to visit websites, you know, do some of your own research and find out if students in your school district are being referred for, quote, services, unquote, at the nearest hospital. And I'm talking about services that would uh, impact their sex, their physical sex, and change them in any way. Today, I want to share with you some exciting news about Ohio, Hilliard, Ohio. Several Hilliard School District parents sued the Hilliard City School District in the U.S. court for the Southern District of Ohio, seeking a discretionary judgment and injunction from the court. The parents say, quote, the defendant Hilliard School District is allowing activist teachers, as opposed to trained, supervised counselors, to specifically solicit from children as young as six years old, private, intimate conversations about sexual behaviors, sexual attitudes, mental and psychological questions of the student and the student's family, and private religious practices. This is done not only without parental consent and knowledge, but the teachers are taking specific actions to hide these conversations from parents. Although perhaps well-intentioned, this is a recipe for indoctrination and child abuse, unquote. The parents are not asking for any monetary damages. They are asking the court for declaratory judgment that would affirm their firmly established constitutional rights to direct the upbringing of their children. And by the way, that was um, upheld by the U.S. Supreme Court five times. Also, the parents are asking the court to enjoin, which is an order to stop, the district teachers from the solicitations of intimate sexual conversations from children while affirmatively hiding the conversations from parents. In particular, the parents also seek to enjoin teachers' display and use of, 
quote, I'm here, unquote, badges, which have a QR code on them that link to a website that offers for voluntary development, a video titled Sex Acts That Don't Get Enough Play, and feature the words and phrases blowjob, fingering, vaginal intercourse, outer course, fisting, rimming, watching porn, bondage and discipline, masturbating, muffing, sexting, and anal sex, unquote. The district's legal counsel, specifically and explicitly in writing, refused to explain the district's policy on these matters. In response to a direct written order, request from the plaintiff. The plaintiffs will soon be setting up a website which will allow other whistleblowers to come forward and for people to donate to the legal defense fund needed to pay for the lawsuit. So there is a phone number listed here, and that is 614-383-8886. So that was yesterday, but then again yesterday before midnight last night, (laughs) I received an inquiry from a small town in Oregon from a father, and um, I had a very enlightening conversation with him. He says, I have a five-year-old son who attends XYZ Primary in Portland, small town. My son is very feminine. Now, remember, he's only five, and I've not tried to force him to comply with gender stereotypes. However, I have made sure he understands that he was born male, is a boy, and if he feels like a girl, that's different from being a girl. So, dad's on the right path there. My concern, he says, is that the school district seems to be grooming him to transition before he started at this primary school. He was perfectly okay being called a boy and seemed to understand that he is a biological male. We discussed the differences between boys and girls anatomically, and he agreed. He's a boy. Now the school is insisting on calling him a girl in class and changing all documentation to reflect his preferred gender identification. Now, in my discussion with this father, he did reveal to me that the psychologist or or the, the counselor, the psychologist in the school has contacted him by phone and, and encouraged him to allow her to use female pro- pronouns to refer to his son. Remember, five years old, kindergarten age. So this dad says he's struggling to find any specific uh, laws that would protect his rights as a parent to prevent this from happening. And he loves his son regardless of how much this confuses him, but he can't support the school district making these changes to a five-year-old's records and grooming him, and the dad's got, he's got the right idea, that's what's going on here, to transition to a girl. And of course, he asks us for any insight. And okay, guys, do you know what's going on here? This is a psychologist in the school who is literally recruiting students as young as kindergarten 
to identify as the opposite sex. That's the bottom line. Uh, she is reaching out to the father uh, to get his permission. Fortunately, that's taking place. But I'm going to read to you now from some guidelines the state of Oregon has just come out with. I am reading from the Oregon Department of Education Supporting Gender Expansive Students document. And it talks all about, you know, educational equity on um, that, that we have to include gender expansive students. We have to protect them. Uh, they should, they can't be discriminated against, et cetera, et cetera. In this document, there is uh, a link to, um, how do you, how do you determine the gender identity of a student? Well, they say that it does rest with the student. And for some students, the request to respect and affirm students' gender expansive identity may come from the student's parent or caregiver. School districts should adopt a flexible approach that accounts for each student's unique identities, strengths, needs, social, and familial supports. Now, this is really getting deep into the psychological makeup of every child, because they do say they support every child in the school district. When the school districts are calling for uh, psychological counseling for our kids in the schools, that's a tall order. And they're around our children all day. And there is no guarantee that your child will not be speaking with one of these psychologists. They go on, some gender expansive students will assert their gender identity at the time of enrollment, while other students will assert their gender identity after attending a school for some time. Students should be able to openly discuss and convey their own gender identity and expression, as well as decide when, with whom, and how much information to share. So where does the power lie with the student? supposedly. I'm reading on here. As soon as a student asserts their gender identity, this, and how does that manifest itself, by the way? That's my question. The school should begin treating that student in alignment with their gender identity. All of these teachers, administrators, etc., they are committed to following through with this. Again, I'm reading on, this may involve discussing with the student and possibly their parents or caregivers, possibly, possibly, any identity affirming support that the student may need. In our case with this five-year-old who has been um, spoken with by the psychologist at school, she did reach out to the father and ask, can we use female pronouns to refer to your son? By the way, he, he has not given permission. Once the school has discussed supportive options with the student, the school should take immediate steps to implement the support plan. According to ODE guidance, they didn't say once the school has discussed supportive options with the student and parent, they just refer to the student. Districts may wish to reference the student support and safety plan section of the guidance or use the student support and safety plan template resource document 
which can also be viewed by clicking the blue button below. Now, these, these documents that I'm referring to are lengthy. They are, they, they are comprehensive. They have many links to various other documents supporting what they're doing. Think of the money that's gone into this, guys. They have a full department within the Department of Education that is producing all of this information. Since our uh, our example today has to do with pronouns, I'm going to read on a little bit and talk to you about what the, what the um, Oregon Department of Education says about this. And by the way, if you live in another state, don't just dismiss this report because Oregon is the leader of this movement. They have tried all of these things. They developed all of these tools. Do not uh, discount the notion that they aren't sharing it across the country. This is about names and pronouns. Gender expansive students may choose to change the name assigned to them at birth to an asserted name that affirms their gender identity. Gender expansive students may also ask to be referred to by the pronouns that affirm their gender identity. Even if a student does not update their records, they should be referred to by their asserted name and pronouns. Intentional or unintentional, continuous misgendering of a student by refusing to use their asserted name and pronouns can potentially create a hostile environment. So they're saying that if if you uh, misgender, that's what they call uh, refusing to use uh, pronouns, opposite sex pronouns for an individual, that you are creating a hostile environment. Students should engage in student-led support planning for name and pronoun changes. So this is student-led, there's a link here, student-led support planning. Once the school and student have decided on a supportive action plan, the school should immediately take action to implement the plan. Now, it does not say that this is only for high school students or it's only for middle and high school students or they have to be older than 10 or anything. And so last night, we received a report of what's going on in in primary school, in a grade school with a five-year-old. No mention of parents here. They don't even have to tell them. Depending on the privacy and safety needs of the student, which may include instructing educators in the student's asserted name and pronouns, updating student records, or updating school-issued materials that use the student's name, such as school IDs. And there are other stories pertaining to this. I just uncovered one um, that is that was published by Town Hall. Sarah Arnold on January 6th. Her article is titled, Oregon Wants to Hide Students' Gender Identity from Parents. And she's exactly right. That's what they're doing. She reported um, about the guide, the ODE guide, encouraging schools to hide students' gender identity from their parents. The 48-page document 
the guide, tells students to hide their gender identity from parents as well as pushes the woke ideology, queer theory, and the idea that a person can be a different gender from what they were biologically born. Titled Supporting Gender Expansive Students Guidance for Schools explains what to do if students are concerned about parents finding out about their gender preference. Quote, students who are not publicly asserting their authentic gender identity may have privacy concerns about students, school, staff, community members, or their families finding out before they are ready to share their identity more widely. Parent and family support is the goal when supporting gender expansive students, but may not be possible in all situations, unquote. The guide cites a letter from Colt Gill, the director of the Oregon Department of Education and deputy superintendent of public instruction, complaining about how the media dehumanizes media coverage against gender-affirming education and health care. Now, Colt Gill is no longer the uh, deputy superintendent. He was just replaced. So the libs of TikTok posted an email sent to staff at a middle school in Oregon Trail School District directing teachers to refer to a 7th grade female as they, them. However, the email also asked staff to continue to refer to the students using she, her pronouns when talking to their parents. Now, you notice they said when talking to their parents, meaning, you know, all of these pronouns are very confusing, aren't they? Because their is plural. So we don't even know what we're talking about. Continuing on with this article, the staff member told Libs of TikTok that hiding students' gender confusion with parents is not an unusual occurrence in the district. Additionally, the guide says that it will offer, quote, gender affirming, unquote, clothing to students who want to dress like the opposite gender they were born, as without their parents knowing. According to Breitbart, the Oregon Department of Education was preparing to spend $2 million on developing pro-LGBTQ2SIA plus curriculum and safer affirming spaces. Well, I think that's about all I can take today. But what's obvious here is that parents are completely out of the loop, aren't they? And they're purposely being kept in the dark. We cannot allow this. I hope that if you hear of any situation like this in Oregon schools or any other schools, that you will contact us. Go to the the information on our website. Uh, it's called Contact Us and tell us your story. We want to get it out there and we are going to, guys. We have huge plans. I've been telling you this all along. I need your stories. People just don't believe this is actually happening. And boy, I... You know, I don't have children in school any longer. My husband and I have eight grandchildren, ranging in ages from nine all the way up to 20. And this curls my hair. I am so angry hearing about it. It's just continued to get worse and worse. Help us. Help us to expose it. Contribute to our organization. 
we are not done. This is Parents' Rights Now. Please check your show notes for links pertinent to this podcast. Please consider making a monthly contribution to Parents' Rights in Education. We need your help. We have big plans in mind. And because of a very generous one-time contribution of $25,000, we are challenging our listeners and our readers, all of our supporters, to match that. Gives $12 a month. If there were only 500 of you, that would tally up to $6,000 a month, almost tripling the $25,000 check we just received in one year. Be part of that club. We call it the 12 by 12 club. A link to our website is in the show notes or go to parentsrightsined.org. See you soon.